Pardon me. Good evening. Kids get the jab. The president's in Europe. He apologized to the president of France and then meets the pope. Are New Yorkers safe as the vaccine mandate kicks in? And day five of the Eric Garner judicial inquiry with these and other stories. I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Friday, October 29th, 2021. The Food and Drug Administration granted emergency use authorization to Pfizer shots for children ages 5 to 11 today. The move comes after the agency's committee of outside advisors voted 17 to nothing with one abstention. Before the shots can be made available to the public, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention will make the final determination to issue a recommendation. The shots would be the first to be made available in the United States to children younger than 12 and make an additional 28 million Americans eligible for vaccination. Nearly 2 million children, 5 to 11, have been infected with the virus. More than 8,300 have been hospitalized and nearly 100 have died. Coronavirus hospitalizations among children under 18 surged this summer before hitting their highest point of the pandemic in early September. And Pfizer and Moderna also are testing vaccines for children as young as six months old. Johnson & Johnson is, too, developing vaccines for kids. And across the world in Rome, finance and health ministers in the group of 20, the G20 leading and developing economies today called for 70 percent of the world's population to be vaccinated against COVID-19 over the next eight months. The first in-person summit since the coronavirus pandemic began will address the global economic recovery, rising health uh, energy costs and supply chain problems. Large protests are expected. And in Rome today, students marched for dramatic action from the world powers on climate change. Inside meetings, President Joe Biden met with French President Emmanuel Macron. Biden told Macron the nuclear submarine deal negotiated with Australia and leading to uh, was clumsy and wasn't handled with a lot of grace. France recalled its ambassador in Washington in protest after the deal was announced this summer, saying it had been blindsided and had been working on a separate deal with the Australians. Biden says he thought France had been informed ahead of time, but says that France and the U.S. have been through a lot together, and with the world at an inflection point, they must continue to work together as they have in the past. The so-called AUKUS agreement that scuttled the submarine deal between France and Australia is designed to build a more confrontational posture toward China by U.S. allies. The U.S. would, in that, to do that, the U.S. would provide Australia with nuclear-powered, although not nuclear-armed, submarines. And President Biden, the nation's second Catholic president, also took a side trip to meet Pope Francis at the Vatican. He presented the pontiff with an honorary command coin, and the two shared some humor. The president has what is called a command coin. That he gives to warriors and leaders. And uh, you are the most significant warrior for peace I've ever met. And we have the state of Delaware, the 261st unit my son served with. Now, the tradition is. And I'm only kidding about this. If next time I see you, you don't have it. You have to buy the drinks. I'm, I'm the only Irishman you've ever met who's never had a drink. <laughs> I know that. Thank you. Thank you.
Afterwards, reporters questioned Biden if he was in trouble for supporting a right to choose an abortion in trouble with the Pope. The president said the Pope thinks he's a good Catholic and approved of his taking of communion. In related news from Washington, D.C. today, the House Oversight Committee held a six-hour meeting with the heads of ExxonMobil, BP America, Chevron, and Shell, all major uh, companies. It was the first time, oil companies, it was the first time that such figures testified to Congress under oath. That happened yesterday. Officials denied spreading disinformation about the climate crisis and rejected allegations. The industry withheld evidence about the dangers of global heating. But committee member and New York Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez grilled ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods on his calls with lobbyists pressuring Congress to take carbon-friendly positions in President Biden's new, now pared back, $1.85 billion Build Back Better agenda. She says the earth doesn't have patience for spin doctors. Um, As a CEO of ExxonMobil, are you familiar with an individual by the name of Keith McCoy? I am. He was uh, one of your top lobbyists, correct? He was a senior advisor in our Washington office. I see. Now, earlier this year, McCoy was recorded in a private session as saying, quote, I liken lobbying to fishing. You have to bait. You throw that bait out there just to kind of reel members of Congress in because they are a captive audience. They know that they need you and I need them. And he also alluded to having weekly calls with certain members of Congress as debates around reconciliation were being formed. Uh, Are you aware of these calls? I'm not aware of the calls. You are not aware of the calls. Have you participated in any calls with members of Congress throughout this process of uh, reconciliation and uh, infrastructure? I have. You have. Are political donations ever discussed during your calls with members of Congress? No, they're not. They are not. Does your compensation package increase as a result of the value of your compensation increase as a result of increased production from Exxon's refineries? No, volumes from our refineries are not part of my compensation. Is Exxon's stock, is your compensation tied to Exxon's stock price? Yes, it is. It is. And so I would assume with increased value in Exxon's stock price and oil production, that would have a boosting the value of your compensation, correct? My compensation is based on a number of metrics and parameters. Some of us have to actually live the future that you all are setting on fire for us. By 2028, crop yields are are already projected to begin to fail, with famine beginning to hit the world's most vulnerable populations. By 2038, Current U.S. drought, fire, and extreme heat trends could potentially make whole regions of the United States unlivable if we continue the trends that lobbyists are trying to have us pursue. We do not have the privilege or the luxury of lobbyist spin. And it is incredibly important that we don't reach net zero or in some imaginary future but that we actually cut through to carbon emissions reductions. And ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods denies campaign contributions were raised in those calls. And in more news from Capitol Hill, California Democrat 
Maxine Waters sparred with Republican Patrick McHenry of North Carolina during a Rules Committee hearing today. The subject was the January 6th insurrection and partisanship. The committee is considering the budget reconciliation bill, which is part of President Biden's Build Back Better agenda. I am struck by all of this false talk about bipartisanship. I am absolutely struck in the way that it is hard for me to even explain what it means to try to work with people who have targeted you for being killed. Our capital was invaded uh, by those who came to kill us. They looked for Nancy Pelosi. He's criticizing Nancy Pelosi. They looked for her in order to kill her, and they came armed to kill most of us. But they talk bipartisanship. They don't know what bipartisanship is. I don't know where all that came from. Potentially, Mr. McHenry would want to respond to some of that. And I've tried to work with my colleague, even when she steps out and does TV interviews and says that you should commit violent acts against Republicans. And I've still been able to legislate with her. All I heard is petty politics and personalities that are unbecoming Mr. of this body. I don't want to delay this committee too much. Well, you've already but, done it. But... You've already done it. I question the patriotism of those who do not want to support yeah, an investigation of those who have, who have, everybody, 17 please, violation please, in the please, gentlewoman. Please, if the please, opposition please, can please, accuse please, us oh, and, and, and I, talk I, about I know you speaker, didn't win in your policy, I, but you don't I, have to I'm, take I'm, these I'm Please, everybody, respond to that. Allow me to say something that hopefully is bipartisan. Passions are running high. A lot of things have been said all day today that are, quite frankly, provocative on all sides. I continue to be very proud of what we are attempting to do here. I think it will be transformational. I know there are philosophical differences, and I think there's some values differences as well. We are going to work through all of this, and we are going to pass something important for the American people. And that is the uh, activities today at the uh, House Rules Committee. Uh, some progressives are disappointed because the Build Back Better framework announced by Biden is drastically scaled down from the original $3.5 trillion spending bill, leaving out earlier promises for paid family leave, free community college, and expanded Medicare coverage. Democrats' hope is that these updates will be an agreeable middle ground to get all 50 senators on board, including moderate Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who've been holdouts on the bill so far. And one area of the budget that survived cuts to the Biden agenda is defense spending. Earlier this month, the House committee reported a defense budget of nearly $730 billion, $20 billion more than requested by President Biden. A 29-year U.S. Army veteran who retired as a colonel, Anne Wright, was a U.S. diplomat when she resigned in 2003 in opposition to the war in Iraq. She says the military, even with the end of the Afghanistan and Iraq war, is not delivering a peace dividend. We're going to be saving what 400 billion, I think it is a year, at 200 million dollars a day we were spending on Afghanistan. So one would have thought they would have said, well, thank God we can reduce the budget for the military. But instead, they go ahead and increase it to even more than what the president did. They're willing to use our money, spend our money on the military and the nuclear weapons program, which is another you know, $2 trillion. The administration's proposal for Build Back Better for education, infrastructure, health is 
3.5 trillion over 10 years. You can't even get that passed. It's probably going to go down to 1.5. And that is Anne Wright speaking to WBAI. She was a U.S. diplomat and she resigned in 2003 in opposition to the war in Iraq. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Closer to home, it's official. Attorney General Letitia James is running for governor of New York State. I'm Letitia James, and I've spent my career guided by a simple principle. Stand up to the powerful on behalf of the vulnerable. To be a force for change. I've gone after the drug companies for fueling the opioid crisis. I fought for better conditions and transparency in nursing homes. I've sued the Trump administration 76 times. But who's counting? I've taken action to divest our pension funds from fossil fuels. I've held accountable those who mistreat and harass women in the workplace, no matter how powerful the offenders. I fought for affordable housing and worked to eliminate the NRA. Today, I am announcing my campaign to be your next governor. And that was a video announcement that was uh, released today from Attorney General Tisha James. James's investigation of allegations of sexual abuse by former Governor Andrew Cuomo led to Cuomo's resignation earlier this year. The independent investigation has concluded that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women and in doing so violated federal and state law. Specifically, the investigation found that Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed current and former New York State employees by engaging in unwelcome and non-consensual touching and making numerous offensive comments of a suggestive and sexual nature that created a hostile work environment for women. And James will be running against Governor Kathy Hochul, the first woman to lead New York, who became governor after Cuomo's resignation. And today, Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple said he was surprised at the speed of the release of the criminal complaint that was filed against Governor Andrew Cuomo for forcible touching, saying it came at an accelerated rate. The complaint, a misdemeanor, was filed against Cuomo on Thursday in Albany City Court and accuses Cuomo of reaching under the blouse of a woman on December 7, 2020, while at the executive mansion in Albany. Albany City Court issued a criminal summons for Cuomo to appear in court on November 17th. You know, it's my hope that he shows up. I don't, you know, think he wouldn't. In, in, in a vacuum, a non-governor, non-former governor, doesn't, doesn't make their court appearance. What happens? Um, at, at that point, you could have a criminal arrest warrant issued. And that would be that would be up to the judge. The judge may reach out, give him another opportunity. But at that point, I'm sure they would issue an arrest warrant. As Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple, Rita Glavin, Cuomo's personal attorney, said in a statement that the ex Paul, the ex Paul, was never has never assaulted anyone. She went on to accuse Albany Sheriff Apple of playing politics, saying his motives here are patently improper. And in city news, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's mandate for all city workers to be vaccinated by 5 p.m. today has the potential to cause widespread disruption as many workers, especially in the NYPD, fire and sanitation departments, have yet to take the jab. Yesterday, the uh, on Wednesday, the FDNY said just 65 percent of its firefighters, fire officers and EMS workers have been vaccinated despite de Blasio's order. It comes after hundreds of city workers marched today over the Brooklyn Bridge to protest the mandate. 
Police Commissioner Dermot Shea tweeted Wednesday evening that 75% of the NYPD had been vaccinated, but Uniformed Firefighters Association President Andrew Asbro says he'll defend firefighters' right to duck the vaccine. I've told my members that if they choose to remain unvaccinated, they must still report for duty. And if they are told that they cannot work, it will be the department and the city of New York that sends them home. And it'll be the department of the city of New York that has failed to protect the citizens of the city of New York. The blame will not be on New York City firefighters. The UFA at this time will explore all avenues to protect our members. We will work with the MLC and the other unions to fight this mandate and keep this a personal choice. We would also like to keep the testing option in place, which it seems that the city is now abandoning. It's working. It's an option we can all live with. But uh, putting people out of work for making a personal health choice is something we can never accept. Meanwhile, yesterday, the Police Benevolent Association vowed to appeal a ruling by Staten Island Supreme Court Justice Lizette Colon denying a temporary restraining order against the vaccine mandate. And our story today is the day five of the hearing, the judicial inquiry hearing into the killing of Eric Garner in July of 2014 by uh, a police officer, Daniel Pantalone, who was supported by quite a number of other officers and EMS workers. Um, Pantalone was fired after five years in a demar- departmental trial. Nobody else was punished or reprimanded to our knowledge for anything that happened in that confrontation in which Garner uh, was uh, held in an illegal chokehold. In this fifth day of testimony that's forced under a little-known provision of the city charter that allows judicial inquiry and which hasn't been used in nearly a 100 years, there were questions asked to uh, one of the officers who showed up on the scene at the time about his activities. It turned out that this officer had training and certification as an EMS employee yet did nothing in the course of the time he was there to provide assistance to Garner, who was had several times, uh, I think seven or eight times at least, said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. The officer today admitted that he knew that Garner was in trouble after the second time. He said, I can't breathe. But yet so many of the officers there seem to have uh, had developed hearing problems and didn't hear it or only heard one or two or three cries instead of the uh, more than half dozen cries of I can't breathe that occurred as an asthma attack overcame. As far as we know, anyway, he died right there on the scene under a chokehold. So uh, some uh, of the Q&A that followed the hearing, which we are not allowed to uh, tape the hearing itself, but we uh, there was a Q&A afterwards. I am the executive director of Justice Committee and a petitioner in the Carr versus de Blasio Judicial Inquiry. The scope of the judicial inquiry is to investigate the violations and neglect of duty of city officials in connection with the stop, arrest, and use of force by officers related to the killing of Eric Garner, filing of official documents, including inaccuracies and false statements, the illegal leak of Eric Garner's medical condition, history, and sealed alleged criminal legal records, lack of medical aid and care by officers, inaccurate and false statements by city officials to the media about the stop, arrest, 
and use of force against Eric Gardner, violations and neglect of duty related to investigations and discipline about the above. Our first speaker today is Gwen Carr, the mother of Eric Gardner. Today we heard from Officer Mead, who said the patrol guy is not a law, it's just a guy. Remember, it's a patrol guy because someone's blood is on that patrol guy. This has happened before. And so now they had to put it in the, the patrol guy to tell the officers, do not do this again. But do they pay any attention? No. They go on and on and on. And every day we're hearing about different murders. I plead that these officers be taken off the force. They are a danger to New Yorkers. Thank you, Mrs. Carr. Our next speaker is Juhyun Kong, Executive Director of Communities United for Police Reform and a petitioner in the Judicial Inquiry. I'm just going to go through three graphics to highlight some key things. The first is going to be Sergeant Samanath texting Lieutenant Bannon. And I want to just read this part. While they were trying to gain control of him, he went into cardiac arrest and is unresponsive at this time, might be DOA. So this is the only time we believe that Sergeant Samanath claims that he actually communicated with Lieutenant Bannon. The last part says, not a big deal. That's the part where Lieutenant Bannon, basically after learning that Eric might be DOA, might have and may have gone into cardiac arrest, at least according to Samanath, that it was not a big deal. And he writes, we were affecting a lawful arrest. The reason why I focus on the, we were affecting a law, LAWF arrest, meaning lawful arrest, is because Lieutenant Bannon actually had no other information at that time about what actually happened. We actually believe that this is the part of the beginning of the cover-up. The way we understand this as petitioners is Bannon is instructing Samanath and other officers how to talk about their killing of Eric Garner. It, in our minds, really shows that the NYPD cover-up begins at that moment in many ways by a higher-up, meaning Lieutenant Bannon. If she does indeed rule against the motion to reopen the discussion of whether to bring in senior officials, what is left for you in this inquiry? Hope springs eternal. I think we've got some compelling arguments about the role that people beyond the IAB, officers, people in City Hall had if we get denied on that, what's important is of the remaining witnesses being able to really fully explore the investigatory process. That was uh, some of the talk today between the lawyers and uh, people who are inquiring into what happened in July of 2014 leading to the death of Eric Garner. Ju Yun Kang of Communities United Against Police Reform said the police activities in 2014 and in other cases are evidence of corruption. We're definitely saying that we believe that there is systemic corruption at play and it is not only in the case of Eric Garner being killed. It's in the case of Delron Small being killed five plus years later. Wayne Isaacs is still on the force even though we know that he murdered Delron Small, and there has not even been a disciplinary trial scheduled. The NYPD, similar to the case of Pantaleo, did not bring disciplinary charges against Wayne Isaacs. The CCRB had to do that. We're saying that the corruption extends to cases like Kowalski Trawick, where two officers killed Kowalski, who was a black queer man in the Bronx, in 112 seconds of arriving to his apartment. We're saying that the corruption extends to 
the killing of Antonio Williams in 2019, when officers came, jumped out of their cars with no reasonable suspicion specific to Antonio, chased him, beat him, killed him. We're saying that it's not even those cases. It's the cases of all the protesters this past summer, in uh, the summer of 2020, who were brutalized or mass pepper sprayed by officers, and none of those officers have been fired. So yes, we are saying there's full-fledged broad corruption in the in the uh, de Blasio administration in City Hall as well as in the NYPD. Ju Yun Kong of Communities United for Police Reform. And finally, by the way, that hearing continues next week starting Wednesday. And finally, it takes more than a taxi to throw Curtis Sliwa off kilter. A yellow cab slammed into Sliwa, who's running for mayor of New York City's Republican nominee. It hit him in midtown Manhattan today, leaving him with a broken arm and bruises all over his body. But the red beret wearing Republican mayoral hopeful took the crash in stride. He says, I've been shot by the mob, recovered, took a clicking, came back ticking been attacked many times i'm like a cat that has nine lives bruce carbonell a guardian angel with sliwa during the accident said his boss was rushing the way he always is to 